if a diet worked, really worked, you would be on the first one you started and you'd still be on it. Right. But diets don't work. Like even I go back to like, you know, the eighties, right. It was like carbs were king, eat all the carbs you want. Like fat makes you fat. Remember those snack wells and all that? It was like, no, no fat. Right. I don't even think we talked about protein like at all. I don't even know why, but you know, fast forward, there's been like the zone, the Atkins, the South beach, the, the keto, the paleo. I mean, they just keep coming. Right. Because none of them work at all. And they're all so drastically different over the decades. It it's insane. And so really looking at like, what are you doing to your body? Every time you take on some drastic diet, like you're driving yourself mad. You're not going to get anywhere. Welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Boomer women. Are we wise women? Are we mavens? Are we crones? Hell yeah. And we're also still curious, fun-loving, interesting, the list goes on. This podcast is for you. My guests are folk who have a message for our demographic. And if you want to hear a specific message, let me know and I'll find the guests. This podcast is also a conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it and we must perpetuate the art form. I try and let my guests have the greater say, and usually we fit in a good laugh or two. Listen in now to today's guest. When was the last time you went on a diet? Did it work? Did the weight stay off? Honestly? A bunch of years ago, I led healthy living classes, you know, the boring stuff, activity, good food, education. And it was then that I met the first real eating disorder I'd ever known. Restricted eating, purging when they thought it was necessary, excessive exercise. And it was then that I realized some people have a totally different sense of logic than I do, because it all made logical sense to them. Today's guest is a licensed psychologist. She also had an eating disorder. We'll find out more about that. Good news, she's fully recovered and is a certified eating disorder specialist. Before I introduce her, I want to add that I explained to my potential client all those years ago that eating disorders were way out of my bailiwick and that their best resource at that time was their psychologist. Dr. Christina Cassinini, welcome to the Boomer Woman's podcast. Thank you for having me. This is a real treat. So thank you. Yeah, no, it's going to be interesting. Thank you. Can we start with a bit of a timeline, Christina, if that's mm -hmm. okay? Uh, your level of education would have taken years. Where did your eating disorder fit into that timeline? So I didn't know I had an eating disorder. So okay. it's more of a looking back and thinking, gosh, what, what was the timeline? So for me, I really just thought I was failing at dieting and I was a bad dieter. I just needed to figure out like how to do it right. But looking back, it really started around like 11. If I really go back, it probably started even before then, just in terms of my issues with my body and feeling uncomfortable. I was born with birth defects. And so I got very uncomfortable with my body and kind of had these ideas that something was wrong with me from a very young age and just felt very subconscious. Like I'm different. So I was in hospitals really young, uh, kind of getting pictures taken by all these doctors because they wanted to study 
my birth defect. And I always was ashamed of my birth defect. So I took a lot of um, care to wear clothes to hide it. And so I think if I really look back to that, that's kind of where the body image stuff started. But the actual eating disordered stuff where I actually took steps to try to lose weight um, and try to uh, control my food started around 11. Wow. Could you let's start by defining eating disorder, if you don't mind? We've often heard about anorexia, bulimia, but it still gets talked about in such hushed terms. Uh, well, you know, I think the reason for that is it it can be very confusing. And what I say, what I mean by that is even for myself, there were times where I felt like, do I have anorexia? <laughs> my my restricting? Um, am I binging? Am I eating and then doing something to compensate? That's more bulimia nervosa. Like, what am I doing? It wasn't quite sure if it, what my diagnosis would be if I went to go get help because there were certainly times so for anorexia nervosa, it's very much a restriction of intake, uh, purposeful intake. So eating far, far less than the body requires to stay alive. Now, when you're talking about bulimia nervosa, it's people are eating large amounts of uh, quantities of food and then doing things to compensate for that. So people often think that it's a like a binge purge cycle but they often just think purging is self-induced vomiting. And that's actually not the case. There's a lot of ways people can purge. It can be over-exercising. So if you eat, you know, say a donut, then, oh gosh, I have to go now work up, work it off. And, or people will say like, oh, I, I don't allow myself to eat unless I go work out. Or if I eat this, I have to go work out now. It's kind of this negotiating with, called negotiating with Ed, <laughs> eating disorder kind of mentality. And people can take laxatives, they can do fasting, they can do all sorts of things to purge. Um, and then we're talking about binge eating disorder. It's the um, eating of a large amount quantity, quantity of food than you would normally not eat otherwise very quickly and not doing the compensatory behaviors like you would with bulimia. Wow. Yeah. So it sounds like there's a fine line between, you know, as, as you said, when you were younger, being healthy and actually having an eating disorder. Do most of your clients, for example, do they know they have an eating disorder? Is that why they come to you? Or are they just confused about food and their body and exercise? I think the majority of people are wondering if they do have one. They've been struggling for years with, they've been on the I call it the yo-yo dieting. They've been on every diet. They say, you know, I've tried everything and nothing works, or this is the one area of my life where I'm just not successful. Like they're very successful in their careers. Um, they've been great students. They, they feel like, gosh, this is just the one thing I can't, I can't be successful, which is when they say successful at like keeping the weight off. And so they're kind of very frustrated. And so most people don't really realize that what they're doing is not failing at dieting. They're actually engaging in very dangerous eating disorder behaviors. So can yo-yo dieting, uh, like uh, what's the latest fad diet, can that be considered a, an eating disorder of sorts? Well, so it's the eating disorder itself is not the behavior. And I think that's where people get confused. So for instance, I'll have people go say to a higher level of treatment than I, I do outpatient um, treatment, which is one-on-one -on -one, um, or group where people uh, don't need to be in a hospital or residential treatment center. And that's a whole different discussion about the different levels of care. 
But when someone's really severe, sometimes they'll come out and say someone has anorexia nervosa and when they go in and they've been eating very little. Um, and I don't like to talk numbers of calories, but just for this sake, anyone gets triggered. I'm sorry, maybe two, 300 calories a day. This is nothing. Okay. They come out, they're on a meal plan and they've been eating consistently the meal plan. And that's why they got discharged and they're seeing me. And let's say this is, this is oftentimes what happens. It'll be like a teenager and the parents will think, well, great. They're in recovery. They've reached it. We're done. They don't need to see you anymore. They're eating their meal plan. Everything's good. And I say, well, no, just because they're eating their meal plan and they're eating does not mean that eating disorder is gone. And so people get confused about, is it a behavior or is it something else? And that's where it gets really tricky is it's the thought patterns. It's the way people live their life. It's when I ask people, how much of your day is spent thinking about food, your body, what you want to eat, what you <laughs> just ate, like looking in the mirror, look, you know, wanting to weigh yourself, body checking, all these kinds of things. Like 80, 90% of their day is thinking about all of these things. Now that's excessive, right? That's not a behavior you can see in anybody. That's their own internal world. It's also the way people think about food themselves. It's a I always say it's not the eating disorder that's the problem. It's the eating disorder is a symptom of the problem, whatever the problem is. So it's the eating disorder helps people distract from thinking about things that are painful or feeling painful emotions or, you know, it's a, it's a numbing effect too. It can be something that helps you distract from dealing with other things because your mind is so occupied with all of these thoughts and Oftentimes when you have an eating disorder, your whole world revolves around following these rituals and routines that help you perpetuate the eating disorder. So like I'll give an example when I had mine, my whole day wrapped around making sure I engaged in my eating disorder. I got up and I had to go to the gym at such and such a time. I had to work out a you know, set number of minutes. If I didn't work out that many minutes, it didn't really count as exercise. And I had to do a certain type of exercise. I had to get really sweaty. Certain exercises didn't count. And then it just went from there. The whole day was wrapped around making sure I fit in all of these rules. And if I didn't, I failed for the day. You just reminded me of a woman that I knew who would get up, get out of bed, step on the scale. And that number would dictate what she may or may not eat that day. Exactly. And oftentimes it was, yeah, we don't eat today. So... Before I get too far into my questions, can I ask about gender and age? Because we hear about a lot of younger women, mm -hmm. but do men have eating disorders? And can older women or older people also have eating or develop eating disorders? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, Agnes. So I have my own podcast. And the reason I have it is to break these myths because <laughs> that is the myth, right? It's these you know, young Caucasian females from a certain socioeconomic class that have, you know, eating disorders. And that's such a myth. And that's actually to the detriment of people, because if people don't fit into that category, then they say, well, I can't have an eating disorder. You know, I'm a male, I'm a middle-aged male, I'm a, you know, middle-aged female that's, you know, a minority or, you know, whatever, I'm handicapped. Or it's like, if you don't fit the mold, then, oh, no, no, I don't have one. And I've had several men on my podcast, actually, I had one on just last week. He came out to talk about that. And I think the more people that come out and talk about their eating disorders and they don't fit that mold, 
um, I think the better. Um, so certainly, and actually my caseload, the majority of my caseload is um, middle-aged females. So that people find that interesting, but if you really look at the body changes of women and the stressors we're under, again, it's a way to cope, right? Try to control things. It's really about control. You know, when, when females go through puberty, their body is changing so much and their hormones are kicking in and their life is changing so much going from a little kid to, you know, trying to transition into adulthood and it can feel very out of control. And so that's one point in time where females are more prone to being susceptible to starting to have an eating disorder. Now, fast forward, we are also seeing this at menopause. If females have had, say, an eating disorder in the past, this can be a time where maybe those behaviors like rear their ugly head again, or maybe it's the first time that, you know, they start engaging in eating disorder behaviors and start to have an eating disorder. Because again, the body's really changing and shifting. And we live in this very toxic diet culture that says, you know, like, your value, your worth is based on what you look like, your appearance. If you're in a smaller body, you have more value and worth. You're quote unquote healthy if you're in a smaller body. And there's all these messages out there. I mean, you tell me, Agnes, but um, to say like, you know, get rid of the menopause belly and do this and do that. And there's all this pressure. And it's like, why aren't we saying, oh my gosh, like it's normal to have all these body changes and for your belly to you know, go through this change at menopause and let's embrace it versus like, stop nature, stop, like, what's going to happen naturally? Instead, everyone's like, control it, you know, something's wrong with you. It's awful. And like, in order to do that, you really do have to do something very disordered and very harmful to the body because you're going against nature. Well, I think too, I mean, hormonal changes, all that, but I was 40 before I realized that with my bone structure, I'm never going to have a Barbie waistline. <laughs> I'm lucky to have any waistline, you know? So yeah, there's just so much. Now, now social media is a prime contributor to body image, but I grew up knowing that my mother thought I was fat. You grew up knowing you had birth defects, you called them, I don't know. How did body image become so skewed? Yeah, we, you and I grew up there with no internet, right? But I mean, it's always been there. The magazine, the movies, you know, whether we want to admit it or not, we're bombarded with all these images all the time from some kind of movie, TV, magazines. I mean, you see it. And so the more you see a certain body type and certain look that's idealized, then you say, oh, wait, in media, those people that look like that with those bodies they're portrayed as happy and desired and sexy and right. Everyone wants to look like them. This there's, there's a mindset that's set, right. And so you're like, Oh, I want to be happy too. I want to be desired. I mean, I want to be successful. I want that lifestyle. It looks glamorous. Right. And, and you're constantly seeing that body. And so it, our mind starts to like ingrain that and say, that's the ideal body type. And then it's, well, if they look like that, it's possible to look like that. So if I don't look like that, I'm failing. I'm doing something wrong. Right. And I thinking back now, like even in the days when voluptuous was beautiful, they still had that hourglass figure, you know, the narrow waist, that sort mm -hmm. of thing. And I guess, you know, for as long as women have been clothing themselves, <laughs> there's been those things that cinch them in, you know. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. 
think been this torture. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, and it would be so easy to blame another gender, but no, we've done it to ourselves as well. Just to swing the pendulum for a moment, how do you define healthy? Well, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I often ask people that and they'll give me one definition. They'll say, well, it's, they'll say, well, if I, my body's physically healthy and they'll give just that. And I say, listen, there's a lot of parts of you, right? You got to look at the whole picture. And so actually, even on my website, I have this whole definition of wellness. There's a lot of parts of you that need to be in alignment. And it's not just the physical well-being. I mean, that's labs and like, you know, can you walk upstairs with, you know, out being short of breath, you know, it's, it's a whole host of things. It's not just physical health. So are you socially well? Like, do you have a good social life? Are you connected to people? Um, are you stressed out financially, right? Like, how is your financial health? There's like eight different areas. And so if you look at all of them and say like, you know, are you intellectually healthy in that sense? Like you're feeling stimulated in life, spiritually healthy, not that's not religious, but like, do you feel like you have a purpose? Do you feel like you're doing things that have meaning? Emotional wellness, right? Like, do you feel like your emotional well-being is intact, right? We often forget that. That's a huge component. Like, and that's my obviously my field, right? I'm helping people psychologically. So it's a whole picture because I think what happens is people have a weight bias. They look at somebody and they automatically assume they're either quote unquote healthy or unhealthy. And that is just so wrong because you can't look at anybody and A, know what's going on inside their body. You don't know if they have an eating disorder and even if they do, which one they have. And so I think, yeah, I, I think there's just a lot of work we need to do in terms of actually looking at what healthy means. That's really good to have sort of bring it out into the open because yeah, it's so easy to compartmentalize our finances, uh, our friendships our you know that social life or our purpose like all that comes into as i say just compartments um but if you open the doors and just let it sort of flow all together uh yeah that's that's a really good definition of healthy so thank you thank you for that one of your talking points is are there good and bad foods now when i was leading my lifestyle classes i used the terms healthy food and fun food how do you describe food I work very hard with people to say, please, let's get rid of the labels because if it's edible, it's food. <laughs> because what happens is when you use the terms healthy or unhealthy, that uh, that's also good or bad, right? And this is where the emotional tie to food comes and the value comes. If you eat the good food, you're good. If you eat the bad food, now you're bad you feel bad, you feel guilty, you feel shame. And I'll often say to people, <clears throat> tell me if I'm wrong, but if you eat the quote unquote good or quote unquote healthy foods, are those also your diet foods? Are those also the foods that you eat when you're either trying to lose weight or feel like these won't make me gain weight? And if you eat the, as you call them, fun foods, quote unquote bad foods, unhealthy foods, what happens? Are those the foods you fear eating and stop yourself from eating because you're fearing you're going to gain weight? And that's where it comes. It's like, where did all this come from? Like, who says that if you eat something on this 
unquote bad food list, like you're going to gain weight, but that's what the eating disorder mind will tell somebody. It's like, I can't eat that. I have to restrict this. It's bad. If I eat that, I'm bad. And that can set up a mentality of this restriction binge phase. So for every restriction phase, dieting, only eating the quote unquote good foods, less calories, whatever it is, the more you do that, the more you're desiring these other foods, you're saying, I can't have these. They're bad. And so let's say somebody's being really, what I use clothes, good all day, right? They're following their plan. They're only eating the good foods, the healthy foods. And then they eat an Oreo that's on their bad food list. The mentality is, oh my gosh, I screwed up for the day. I broke the dam. Like I might as well go hog wild crazy and like have everything on the bad food list right now today. And then because I ruined it, you know, it's all or nothing thinking I'll start again tomorrow. I'll be, I'll be back on track tomorrow. But that is, that's the mentality that happens. You can't just have one Oreo and have it just be an Oreo or a donut or whatever's on your bad, bad food list, right? And I know what most people have on those lists. But when you get rid of that, that doesn't happen. One of the words that I hear in media a lot that irritates me is junk food for mm-hmm. exactly that reason. You know, it's because uh, <laughs> are, are you junk because you eat junk food that's it's the same thing bad stress eating that's fairly common i i lose my appetite when i'm stressed so that works for me is stress eating a type like especially if someone's stressed in many areas of their life can that be considered an eating disorder again it's the mentality thing right so I really have to diagnose what's going on with the person, like what's going on in their mind. How's their day-to-day life is just a one-off thing where like, you know, something traumatic happened or something really awful happened and you're very stressed. And just, you know, while this stressor happened, like your appetite went down, right? Because even when we're diagnosing say anxiety or depression, like for depression, for example, one of the symptoms that I assess for is appetite. Is there an increase in your appetite or a decrease? that doesn't mean you have an eating disorder. That just means that's part of the depression, right? And so even with anxiety too, sometimes people have nervous stomach, like their stomachs and knots and, you know, they're kind of nauseous and things like that. And so they might be eating less just because like their whole system is like in flux and because of the anxiety, because of what just happened, it has nothing to do with having an eating disorder. Okay, back, back to your talking points. You talk about the biggest myths around eating disorders. You've just told us like earlier that young women of a certain socioeconomic class uh, and perhaps that whole demographic, are there other myths around eating disorders? Well, like I said before, you can't look at anybody and know if they have an eating disorder and at that, which one they have. I think there's this myth that like, if you have anorexia nervosa, you look a certain way. (laughs) It's not true. We have what's called, I mean, people have maybe not heard the term atypical anorexia, but people who are engaging in all the behaviors and have all of the criteria for anorexia, but they're in larger bodies. Now people think there's no way, but that's absolutely true. Again, it's not what you look like on the outside. It's the disorder itself. What do you meet the criteria for the disorder? Likewise, people often are making the assumption that if you have binge eating disorder, you must be in a larger body. And that's absolutely not true either. So I think if we can kind of check ourselves and say like, do I have biases here? 
um, especially for the medical doctors out there. It's like, I think, you know, we really need to get the word out there. Like even people that are in these bodies that look like they're quote unquote healthy, oftentimes they're in bodies that are smaller than they're biologically meant to be. And they are sometimes the most scary to me because I know if I send them to the medical doctor for a checkup for labs, I know what they're doing to be in that body that everyone's saying, you're so healthy. You're so, (laughs) you're doing a great job. You're eating so great and working out all the time. And I know that their body, maybe they're at risk for a heart attack, or I know that they're doing lots of very like dangerous things to themselves. And, but if they walk into a medical doctor appointment and they have a bias and they fit into that horrible thing I call the BMI category that says they're healthy, they're not going to get sent for labs. They're not going to get told anything other than like, keep it up. You look great. And that, you know, that, that to me is like, wow, we really need to like, we call it health at every size. You can be healthy, physically healthy at any size. And it's oftentimes very shocking to people when like someone in a larger body goes for labs and how do you not have like diabetes or high blood pressure? You know, it's like, they don't, they're fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The word that stood out there for me is when your doctor says you look great. Right. (laughs) That's this outside package. Thank you for that. But yeah, let's (laughs) look on the inside. Yeah. All these other components. If we think we know, or say we do know someone that we know uh, has an eating disorder, what do we not say to them? Okay. Yeah, there's lots of things. I think there's <laughs> some very well-meaning people that love, uh, obviously love like their kids or their spouses or their friends and knowingly do say things um, that they have no idea is going to trigger uh, what's going on in their mind. So like, oh, wow, you look great. You know, making any comments about their appearance is very triggering, whether they think, of, oh, I was just complimenting you. Any focus on the body is just hard. Nobody wants any focus on their body at all. Or if you're out eating with them, making any comments about what's on their plate, like anything, just like, oh, wow, you're eating a lot today. Good for you. Because I'm trying to encourage them. I know they went into treatment. I'm just really trying to like be supportive. It's like, (laughs) that's that's surefire way for them to stop eating and like be done or you know, even the opposite of like, oh man, you eat like a bird, you know, or things like that, or just any comments about what they're eating, even comments that aren't about the person. You may think, oh, you know, I'm not even talking about the person, but you know, people often make comments about, oh, did you see so-and-so that he's really let themselves go, blah, 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 or this or that. Like what is going on in someone who has an eating disorder's mind is they are constantly taking in information about that like what am I supposed to look like what's this what's that and so you're it gets validated like oh see I can't let myself go I've got to keep doing what I'm doing right there's that fear there of the body being out of their control and so they just stick to the eating disorder voice keep it up keep doing what you're doing you know you don't want to be talked about like that so any talk about weight food other people's bodies like just yeah and that's interesting too, because I may think that I'm encouraging or complimenting or something, but again, it's all about the, my comments would be all about the external stuff. Mm-hmm. 
because I probably don't know what's going on on the inside of the, mm -hmm. the head of the body. Now, if we suspect someone has an eating disorder, and for us boomers, uh, it might be ourselves, but it might be a child or a grandchild, we don't want to shut down that relationship by saying the wrong thing. What can we say if we think they've got an eating disorder to encourage them to, I don't know, do we encourage them to get help? You, you, you help me here. <laughs> well, I, you know, again, I think it's a very embarrassing, shameful illness, very secretive. Um, so anything that's going to bring out any of that, or maybe they feel like, oh gosh, you're asking me to talk about what I'm doing or what I'm thinking, they're going to shut down. It's a lot of embarrassing things, right? And so maybe just saying like, hey, I've noticed, you know, you're kind of quiet lately. Is anything going on? Maybe more asking like, hey, if you need to talk about anything, let me know. I'm just noticing more of like that and asking, hey, you want to go on a walk? Do you want to talk? Anytime you need anything, just let me know. Because maybe at some point they're going to like hit a spot where they're just feeling really out of control or they're like, hey, you know what? This person said, I'm hitting a rough spot. I can just call them. And they're not going to divulge like, oh yeah, I've been thinking about like how my weight this morning, you know, went up 0.5 pounds and, you know, I'm beating myself up all day and it sucks. Like they're not going to be because to the outside world, it's like, what, you know, cause all anyone's going to do is kind of dis discount it and dismiss it for the most part. Like, oh, come on. That's not a big deal. Are you nuts? Like that's nothing. But to someone who has an eating disorder, it's, to your point, you said that about your friend, it's everything. Right. Well, I will add as a, a parent and a grandparent that a, a long drive is great <laughs> because there's no eye contact. So it's mm -hmm. really easy just to put the words out there, knowing that you don't have to look anybody in the eye. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so that's always uh, kind of cool. Uh, do people recover, like fully recover? Um, it, you know, in your bio, it says you are fully recovered. Um, yeah. So going back to the myths, right? Breaking the myth. There's always been this myth out there that like, once you have one, you kind of always have it. And I think that's horrible to have as a mindset because it sets your, your brain really hears what you say to yourself or what you verbalize. And so if you keep saying that or really believe it, that's going to be like your self-fulfilling prophecy. If you really know Yes, I can fully recover. This can go away. You weren't born with an eating disorder. You're, everybody was born with the intuitive like way of eating. We we knew when we were hungry, we stopped. We, we weren't hungry anymore. Like we, we weren't born like this. This happened, right? So you can definitely live a life without this. And that's another reason too, Agnes, why I have the podcast. I have people on there that have reached full recovery because I want people to know, yes, look, all these other people have done it too, right? You need to, and I wish I would have had that when I was going through this to have known, oh, wait, there's, there's a reason to keep up with the therapy, to keep going through this struggle, to keep on going because I can reach recovery. Like I didn't know that because there wasn't a lot known back when I was going through this, nothing was talked about. I was like, it's like going through this blind tunnel. Where am I headed? Right? Like, I think if people really know, yeah, of course you can, you can live a life where this is all gone and you know, you're free of this then maybe it'll keep them motivated to go through treatment and keep on going. You just gave me an idea there. What words do we use to say, 
oh my goodness, I found this really interesting podcast uh, and send them to your podcast, like without sort of saying, well, I think you have an eating disorder. You should listen to Christina's podcast. <laughs> what words can we use to encourage them to, uh, you know, listen to some of your, your guests? You know, I don't, I don't know. I have a lot of different topics. So it might just be like, oh, I heard this really interesting thing about like, you know, social media, you know, that might just be an in with some people or about menopause or it don't, don't even make it about the eating disorder so much, right? Like <laughs> if you're talking about something else and go, oh, there's one on menopause or social media or diet pills or whatever, just be like, that was really, or like exercise or whatever, that might be more of it about it than actually the eating disorder stuff. <laughs> okay. Go back and re-listen to that part just so we do it right. <laughs> um, now you do suggest that someone with an eating disorder uh, should work with a specialist instead of any licensed mental health professional. Why mm -hmm. is that? So specialists have gone through lots of training over and beyond just licensing. Um, and like I said, when someone has an eating disorder, they're they have different thoughts that people honestly, if you've never had one, would never even think are in there. They wouldn't like, what? Why would somebody think that? Right? What? What on earth is going on? Like, I'll give an example. When I didn't want to treat eating disorders, I wanted to stay far, far away from it because there's this myth out there too that, you know, we're wounded warriors and we bring our own stuff into the session. And I was like, I don't want to be accused of that. However, that being said, what heard was I was, as I said, with depression, we assess for appetite. It goes up or down oftentimes. So when I was assessing somebody for depression, one time I got to the point where I was asking about like, are you eating? What's going on? And they got really in depth about their eating habits and what was going on. And they said all these eating disorder statements and I, they didn't have to really explain anything. It was like, oh, you're not here for depression. You have an eating disorder. But someone who's not a specialist would not have even picked up on that. They would have said, oh, decrease in appetite. Okay, you meet that criteria. Versus me going, oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Like, like I said, they were describing all these rituals, routines, how it's occupying their mind. And I mean, just the whole gamut. I went, oh my gosh, like we have something else here. And, and I think people can say things unknowingly if they're not a specialist that can trigger someone with an eating disorder and actually spiral them in a way that they're not intending to. I think that sort of goes back to the person who approached me all those years ago. I, I just realized that because they have their own sense of logic and I'd go home and try to try to see logic in their logic and I couldn't. So I just absolutely knew that there's no way that I could help them because I would run the risk of trying to sort of browbeat them into my sense of logic. Mm -hmm. And that obviously doesn't accomplish anything or doesn't accomplish anything positive. So is there anything that we haven't discussed? Uh, audience is mid-age women. Um, we've talked about hormones a little bit, um, yeah. menopause. Is there anything you want them to consider about their own lifestyle or a loved one's lifestyle? You know, I know, I know I, I kind of sit back and go, okay, so 
every diet has this like 15 minutes of fame. Right. And so I don't know for your audience, how they're like, what's on their mind in terms of their bodies and things like that. But if you maybe just have them think about this for themselves, like if a diet worked, really worked, you would be on the first one you started and you'd still be on it. Right. But diets don't work. If you like, even I go back to like, you know, the eighties, right. It was like carbs were King, eat all the carbs you want. Like that makes you fat. Remember those snack wells and all that. It was like, no, no fat. Right. I don't even think we talked about protein like at all. I don't even know why, but you know, fast forward, there's been like the zone, the Atkins, the South beach, the, the keto, the paleo. I mean, they just keep coming, right? Because none of them work at all. And they're all so drastically different over the decades. It's insane. And each of them are contradictory to the next. And so really looking at like, what are you doing to your body every time you take on some drastic diet? Like you're driving yourself mad. You're not going to get anywhere. And, and two, I tell people really think about this as well, because people say, oh, why? but I need to lose weight. It worked before. And then, well, okay, let's take a hundred people and let's sequester them and put them they have to eat exactly the same amount in the same quantities for a year. And they exercise exactly the same amount for a year. Now, if diets worked, right? Because people say it's calories in, calories out. And like, all right, let's 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 go with this then. All of those hundred people at the end of the year, having consumed exactly the same amount in and burned off exactly the same amount, we monitored it. They would have either gained or lost the same amount of weight like exactly, but that doesn't happen. And it will never happen because it's not that simple. There's a lot of factors to things like your body is your own. And it's a, an amazing, wonderful, fabulous thing. And the more you fight it and struggle with it, the more you're going to suffer. The comment that comes to mind, which I don't know if you want to weigh in on this one is the diet that says, you know, cavemen did this. <laughs> How do we know? <laughs> and it's like, okay, we, has my body really not changed? I have bodies in general really not changed since cavemen days. But uh, it, it seems to, to work as logic sometimes. I don't know. Do you have a thought? <laughs> well, let's see. The life expectancy of a caveman. <laughs> 32 years, maybe. Right? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I know there's lots of other factors, however, but like you think about it, it's all about resources and lifestyles and things like that. Like cavemen had to eat a certain way because there were no grocery stores. There were no restaurants. There were, you know, there were no ovens and stoves and microwaves. And I mean, so yeah, like life's not, we don't live like cavemen. It's very different. So I don't know why people, I don't know. It's, it's strange to me. I, I get the concept of people saying like, you know, eat in a way that like your bot, it's, okay, if you're going to eat in a certain way, like intuitively, right? Listening to your body, it's going to tell you what you want. Like, that's more about it. I think that's a maybe better way to go about it. And intuitive eating is a whole different, like, thing that, you know, you can go to a therapist who's uh, trained in intuitive eating and all of that. People have this misnomer about it thinking, and it gets skewed in the media, I will be honest, them thinking, Oh, if I eat intuitively, that means that my body's gonna, you know, 
be where it's meant to be naturally and I'll lose weight and this and that, but intuitive eating is not a diet. It's a way of listening to your body. Can I also suggest that, you know, like <laughs> weight, like why is so much emphasis put on a number on a scale? It's uh, sort of an interesting concept. Well, you know, there's, there's so many things, right? You go to the doctors and you're put, you see the BMI chart, right? It's like, you know, the red zone and like you get talking to if you're in a certain zone and, you know, you're good or bad. So it's like right there every time you go and it's like, you know, that's scary for a lot of people. And then you get judged. And then we live in this toxic diet culture, right? It's just, it's everywhere. And how can we not? It's a $76 billion industry, beauty and diet industry. So bombarding us, they want us to feel bad about ourselves. If you don't look like this, you know, then you have no value. You have no worth. You're not good enough. Do something different. You know, in, in order to have value and worth, then you need to look like this. So get on it, you know, and inevitably, like I said, diets don't work. So when you fail, which you, you're not failing at the diet, the diet is set up to fail, but you end up feeling like the failure at the end, which is horrible. So then your self-esteem is so low. That's when they come out and the ads come, the this, the that, here's this new program, here's this new app, here's this new whatever. People are primed at that point. They're feeling so low and so bad and like they failed so horribly. They're so desperate for a solution. Guess what? They're great consumers at that point. So who keeps making the money? <laughs> and who keeps spending the money? <laughs> right? It's horrible. My own personal experience with that was um, I blew my knee out a few years ago. And the doctor I went to looked at me, put me on the scale, mm -hmm. and said, uh, lose 20 pounds, and mm -hmm. I'll deal with your knee. <laughs> Fortunately, I was going to a physical therapist who I'd known for years, and he looked at me, and he said, uh, yeah, just stay here, and I'll deal with the knee. <laughs> oh, my God. And at that point in time, too, I mean, if I lost 20 pounds, <laughs> I would have thought, yeah, not been healthy, trust me. <laughs> So, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy how uh, it's just almost copping out of responsibility of like uh, now it's all your fault for whatever the issue is. So. May I ask you a personal question? You're hesitating. A teen... well, I was like, what do you want to ask me? <laughs> <laughs> a teen advice columnist. Oh God, we're going back some years. <laughs> It's on the website. <laughs> well, the trajectory of my career, right? People ask, like, how did you know? I'm like, well, I was really young, right? Like, I kind of knew, like, young that this is, I was going to probably be in this profession. Yeah, it was interesting. My One of my best friends, so, you know, we had newspapers back then, right? <laughs> Print. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah one of my friends' uh, dad saw this, like, I guess advertisement is saying, oh, we know we're looking for, you know, teenagers to, to be advice columnists in the area, like write in, you know, and we'll submit whatever. They give us mock like scenarios of people in. And I guess I wrote my submission on a typewriter. <laughs> Again, aging myself. <laughs> I sent it in. And uh, next thing I know, I was talking to somebody at the newspaper and I had a paid gig at like 12 where I was like getting teenagers sending in their questions and I was answering them and it was actually it was actually great I liked it 
<laughs> That's hilarious to think of a, a 16 or 17 year old writing in and <laughs> having their issues addressed by a 12 or 13 year old. <laughs> well, yeah, it was actually <laughs> it was actually kind of embarrassing because like I remember my parents' friends calling me like, oh, I learned about, you know, this and this from your daughter. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> so did they actually use your real name? Yeah, yeah, and my picture and everything. Yeah, so. <laughs> you couldn't be an original Dear Abby or something. <laughs> no, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> ah, dear. Okay, where do we find you on the World Wide Web? So I'm at um, behindthebitepodcast.com. Um, and my podcast is on all the major outlets like iTunes. Spotify, all of that. And then on Instagram, Facebook, all of that, it's behind the bike podcast. So I don't think anyone else has that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you have a course at the website, don't you? I do. I have a free nine week uh, email course and it's on the website and you go there and it says courses. Um, if you sign up, you will get a free course that will help you identify if you actually have disordered um, eating or not, it, it doesn't diagnose you, but it will give you a sense of, Hey, maybe I need to go talk to somebody, a professional and get some help. Um, cause a lot of people do ask, like, do I actually like need help? What's going on with me? I think it, it, it does get confusing. So this nine week course helps people really kind of make that decision about like, if they want to go get help or not. Right now, at least in North America, mental health is a, a huge subject. Mm -hmm. Do you find your clients want to avoid sliding into that umbrella? Uh, or are they open more open to it? Because it's like, no, this is real stuff. Um, so if, if I might fall into this category, I will go get professional help. I think... There's still a lot of stigma out there about mental illness. Unfortunately, I think with the pandemic, it became a lot more discussed and talked about. And thankfully, I think it became easier for people to open up and to seek help. So we're making strides. I'm seeing in terms of people letting go of the stigma and letting go of the shame of asking for help, whatever that is. So I still think with eating disorders themselves, I think there's still a lot of shame um, and, and confusion too. Am I dieting? Am I not? Am I this? Am I that? Like what's going on? And so that, again, to your point, I was like, I think talking to a professional who's a specialist can really help somebody figure that all out. Your clients, I won't make a statement. I'll ask a question. Mm -hmm. Do your clients appreciate the fact that you've been in their shoes? I mean, I won't speak for them, but <laughs> I, I, I think so, because there's a lot of stuff they don't have to say. And I always said that I wish I would have had somebody in my treatment team who could have looked at me and said, I've been there. I get it. Just hang on. Trust me. <laughs> like, I know it's hard. You're going to get through this. Right. Or I know how scared you are right now. Like, I wish I would have had that because there were some scary things they were asking me to do. And I was like, I don't know if I trust you. How do you know this is going to work? Like, bleh. And I can honestly tell people like, you know, you're at this point, like, I know this is the scary part, like you're white knuckling it right now, or like, it's okay. I got you. You know, like I just to let them know, like, 
this is a normal part of treatment or this is a normal fear or whatever's going on. I think that helps. Yeah, because, you know, we, we, we talked about what you should say, what you shouldn't say. And I know if, if I was trying to talk to somebody, I would probably be very stilted trying to remember our conversation. Whereas for you, you've been there. So you understand their words and you have the correct words right there. It's not like you have to go, like, oh, what do I say to this? <laughs> um, right. So I'll give an example. Like holidays are coming up and a lot of times that's a very triggering time because people around family that can be stressful <laughs> and like family says lots of things unknowingly and that's food and you know like I'll have a patient oftentimes after the holidays like, oh, gosh, uncle so-and-so like made a comment about how much was on my plate and I'm like okay what did you do did you stop eating or did you eat well you know what I did I'm like mm -hmm. you know and it's like I just know like if anyone else without an eating disorder, their uncle said like, hey, out there, like they laughed at like, nothing. It wouldn't, it had no effect, right? Because it's the holidays and Thanksgiving and like, well, yeah, right. it's awesome food, right? But if, when you have an eating disorder, that is like, it's just destructive. Right? It's horrible. Um, it's so scary. Those are the kind of statements people dread hearing. They're so, they can, for days beforehand, they can be so scared that they're going to hear things like that, or they worry about what they're going to eat or what everyone else is going to eat or what's going to be there. Or just, it's like this whole buildup. I recently heard about a person who, whose grandmother was just, just one of those people. And at a big family dinner, you know, grandchild A said, Grandma, could I have seconds? They said, oh, absolutely, help yourself. And grandchild B said, Grandma, can I have seconds? And she said, no, absolutely not. You're fat enough. You know, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, like just. Oh, yeah. oh, it's these kinds of things, you know, when you look at like you're asking about, you know, how did people get there? These messages from people you know, over time, it sets up this, oh my gosh, something's wrong with me. I'm in a larger body. I have, I'm different. I'm not good enough. Not good enough. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I can't have fun at this dinner party. <laughs> okay. Website, uh, behind the bite podcast.com. Uh, you have a podcast link on that, which is great. And, uh, lots of social media website link is in the show notes. All the links are on your website at on your page at our website. Listeners, if you have thoughts on today's show, please talk to us. Leave comments where you're listening. Or if you're listening at the Boomer Woman's podcast at boomwithabang.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and talk to us there. Leave stars and reviews where you can. They help us grow. Share this episode. Eating disorders can often be explained away, and they can be fatal. Knowledge is a good thing, and Christina has shared a lot of that with us today. You don't know who in your circle might need that knowledge, or maybe you do know. Dr. Christina Cassinini, thank you for being my guest today and being so open about your own experience and sharing so much important information with us. Thank you for doing your show and spreading the word, and uh, really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great rest of the week.